Horror Riders Podcast, episode number 31. I'm your host, Zach Bohan, and with me, as always, is author Jay Thorne. How you doing, Jay? I'm doing great, Zach. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing really well. I'm really excited about the guest we've got on today. Um, he's our first non-novel writing guest, so that's really cool. We got someone from a, from a different um, part of the horror world. So uh, he is the writer and director of the short film Organ Grinder, and more recently, um, the feature full-length film Jug Face. Um, and of course, I'm talking about Chad Crawford Kinkle. How you doing, Chad? I'm doing excellent. Cool. Thanks Did for I having me your, on. I get your name right. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate having you on, man. Uh, it's kind of cool how we got hooked up. Uh, we were talking about beforehand. My wife uh, used to sell you tea, so <laughs> so he is a avid tea drinker as well. So well, I used to be. I used to be. That that was how I kind of would get started in the morning. I would drink tea, and then. Uh, I would work for, you know, I don't know, four or five, you know, six hours. And then I would, in the afternoons, want something to do. And so I would just go to the mall and hang out and Tivana and get more tea. And just that was kind of like my break. And then I had a child. And uh, then I had to move from tea to coffee. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now I have an espresso machine in my house. And I spend my mornings in a coffee shop. So. <laughs> yeah, their tea definitely uh, isn't cheap. So uh, no, we're we still have a whole cabinet of it from when she worked there. So I, mm. I know how expensive this stuff is. So um, and now they're owned by Starbucks. So you know, right. <laughs> but uh, but anyways, man, well, we're uh, we're we're really really glad to have you on. So uh, why don't you just take a minute, man, to start out and just kind of uh, introduce yourself to our audience. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I like like I, they said, I'm. Our writer, uh, director. Uh, I went to film school uh, for college, and uh, I was kind of like the art kid. And so, uh, in growing up, and I was making uh, VHS horror movies. You know, my parents' camcorder on the weekends, and uh, ended up going to an art school called uh, Savannah College of Art and Design. And uh, I turned out that they had a film program, which I didn't even know. And uh, so I just kind of dove into that and got deep in it and ended up going to get my master's and studying like film theory, particularly pertaining to horror movies uh, at the new school in New York, which is like Par Parsons. And uh, so once I did that, um, I, you know, I wanted to make my own features and everyone kept saying the best way would be to write your own screenplays. And I, I really wasn't much of a writer at that point. I mean, I mean, I actually... English was my worst subject ever. <laughs> I mean, growing up, the, my English teachers, they literally hated me. And, uh, <laughs> I, and this one teacher, I remember, I remember specifically, I think it was fifth or fourth grade, where it was like we had to write about something. It was like describing, I don't remember what it was, but I just described it in like two sentences. And she was like, Chad, no, I want you to describe everything about it. You know, write a couple of paragraphs. And, I, and just to me, it just didn't make any sense. I was like, no, I just said it, like, in those two <laughs> senses, you know, which which when I look back now, it translates perfectly to writing. 
But anyway, so I uh, moved back here to, well, to Tennessee to write. I made the decision not to go to L.A. And so that my, my idea was that, well, I can move to Nashville and like just really focus on my writing because I know I needed to, you know, to get good. And so it took seven years, <laughs> seven years of writing and not working another job to finally uh, write Jugface. Now, I had written another, one of my other scripts had won a smaller competition, but it didn't, you know, really... Do much, but uh, but but with Jugface, I won Slam Dance's writing uh, competition. I won the horror category and I won the grand prize. And so when that happened, I sort of was noticed. And uh, you know, within two weeks, I was talking to a producer who was very interested in making the movie. And within five months from that, we were making it. So it was like it was really fast. Yeah. So that's kind of my trajectory to stardom. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's yeah. really that's that's really cool. Um, and we'll definitely be talking about Jug Face here here in a few minutes because uh, you know Jay and I both watched it and both both you know spoiler alert we both loved it. So, um, <laughs> but uh, but so so you said you didn't really uh, you you know writing wasn't really your forte. So um, when you decided you were going to start writing screenplays, because um, you know we were talking about before the show, we kind of we do have a lot of writers who who watch the show, and I know a lot of them myself included, would be interested in doing screenplays eventually. Like, what what was kind of what you did to, you know, say, okay, I want to write a screenplay, I want to get into this, like, uh, how do I do it, you know? Yeah, uh, well, you know, the first time I ever wrote a screenplay was in, like, some of my film classes okay. in my undergrad. Yeah. And, and, like, the first thing was, like, we had to write a one-page, just a one-page story. It wasn't even a story, it was like a scene, basically. And I remember writing it, and and something in my brain just kind of clicked. Like I was like, "Oh, you just write the movie that you're seeing in your head. Like I can do that. Like that's not that's not that hard for me, you know." And uh, and and it's funny. Like I even kind of like I guess you'd say my voice or my style that's that's in Jugface was evident in that short. And I remember getting it back from the teacher, and the teacher wrote, oh, this is very cool. It reminds me of Basket Case, which is, you know, the Frank Hillenlauter film. And what's cool is, like, just last, well, two years ago, I met him at a film festival where Jugface was playing and told him about that story. And he actually watched Jugface and sat in the front row. And the funny thing was we finished the movie, and he was like, I have one. I have, you know, a face jug. Yeah, I just never knew what they were, and like, so he sent me a picture of it, and I knew the person who made it. At least I knew the name of the person because just by doing jug face, I studied so many uh, uh, face jugs that I could pick out which family because the families would pass down certain techniques and certain features, and so I knew immediately that this was a Mary Rogers face jug. Wow, it was it was, so, it was really cool. But but yeah, but uh, so back to writing. So I just started, you know, with that. But then I quickly learned that, you know, writing a short or was, you know, very different than writing a feature screenplay with the, you know, as far as like actually telling a long story. And so that was really where I had to take my lumps for a long time and figure out, uh, you know, you know, how to tell an engaging story that builds upon itself or, you know, that would be a 90 minute movie. So were you pitching these to, to studios? Like, how, what was the feedback process for you as you're developing your, your writing skills? 
you know, like at that point, like for those seven years, I was just trying to enter into competitions. Uh, okay. Like, yeah, I I had no contact with any any production company. I think I'd met one uh, after, well, actually my first script did really well. I was like a finalist um, in, a, in a screenplay competition. And from that, I met a producer through somebody else, and he read it and, and could see that there was something there, but it, it was a very, very bizarre story. So, But I just didn't really have much contact with, with anyone but kind of like, you know, Film festivals and and th but outside of that, my sort of what you know, I moved to Nashville and didn't know anyone. And I was away from my the people that I grew up with and you know school and college who were also doing the same thing. But really, I started hiring a uh, script consultant out of New York, out of who was actually was a professor at my master's program, which who I never actually met, just spoke to once briefly in the library, which was really weird. But he was like really instrumental in, in helping me, you know, correct these errors that I kept doing over and over. <laughs> Which, you know, I, I wouldn't normally recommend the, this type of person, like a script consultant, because generally it's like, it's, it's generally a bunch of failed writers who are not very good who will charge you obscene amounts of money, you know, it could be thousands of dollars, you know, promising that if they, they'll help you get your script right and you'll sell it for, you know, 600000 or something like that. So it's like, it's, they're like these predators. <laughs> it's really, it's really, a, it's a strange cottage industry around the idea of being able to write a screenplay. And so, and these kind of script consultant people are part of it. But this guy is like legit and he made a movie called Killing Billy. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's like, it's 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 good. It's a good indie movie, but um, so he he was the real deal. And so you know, otherwise I would I would never recommend it. But this guy was great, and his name is uh, Bill Pace. And uh, if you, if if yeah, I'd recommend him to anyone uh, actually. Very cool. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll try to put like a a link to that in the show notes. Um, if we have, you can give me something. We'll put yeah yeah. Those. Cool. Yeah, well. Okay. So just I guess staying on the, you know, for a second just on the the craft part of it. So would you like would you do you normally would you normally suggest like someone sending it to like an editor that is, you know, who does screenplays normally or uh Yeah, it's I mean it's hard. It's it's um you need someone who actually knows what they're talking about. Yeah. And one, but then I'm going to tell you a very different idea where, and they say never let your mother, you know, or trust what your mother says. But 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 honestly, I've used my mom for every script. She's the first <laughs> person to read them, no matter how bizarre they are, because she can pick out the basic of elements of like this doesn't make sense. I'm I'm confused here. So I feel like if I work though that out where she can get it, then I know I'm telling a story that's flowing really easily. So, you know, so I'm not saying use your mom because they'll probably, you know, tell you it's great and it's not great. But uh but yeah, I mean I mean I guess if like you didn't know anyone and you were by yourself and you're trying to learn how to write screenplays, well first off I just would be I would read a bunch of screenplays and of course obviously watch movies. But I mean the real 
the real learning, even, even though I used that script consultant, he always told me the things I actually knew were wrong with it. I just didn't want to admit to. Yeah. <laughs> so if you can just be brutally, brutally honest with yourself and your story, you'll start to figure out through time, through writing a lot. And that's like the keys. Like you have to just write pages and pages and pages until you finally just, it just kind of clicks of how everything's supposed to work. And when that happens, then you just kind of sit back and then characters are talking by themselves, things are happening, and you're just open to like how the story should like organically work. Very cool. Jay? Yeah, I think that's pretty pretty solid advice, whether it's screenplays or novels or anything. Um, it's the more you do it, the better you get. It's it's not rocket science. Right, totally. Yeah, I mean and like and so if you look at me, uh, I like I've even failed ninth grade English, you know. <laughs> I'm I'm like that kid who who never studied until high school. And I think I was basically shamed into it because of the, you know, failing ninth grade. I haven't gone to summer school before high school for the English. And even though I was in, like, advanced English classes, I, I just, you know, I didn't try that hard. And, and I couldn't spell to, like, save my life. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so, yeah, so that, but then I turned it around and became this award-winning writer, <laughs> which is, like, hilarious. <laughs> for Bopple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I know you kind of mentioned, uh, you mentioned earlier that, you know, when you were younger, you were doing movies and stuff. Um, but so have you, see, so have you kind of always known that you wanted to direct? And if so, like, did you always know you wanted to direct horror? Be another question. Or write horror. Well, you know, like when I was making those shorts with my friends, I didn't really know how movies were made. I assume they were all made in Los Angeles. You know, this is this is pre-internet. You know, so, and I didn't know that you people even went to school to make movies at that point. Like, I really had no exposure to it other than like I loved horror movies, and you know, I just lived and breathed it and had tons of horror movies on VHS and just you know, I was I was like that kid. And so, so then when, and of course all my art was, you know, in school was very, very dark and uh, my uh, girlfriend and her uh, grandmother would pray about my uh, <laughs> art pieces that I'd bring in because they were so bad. <laughs> so I was already on this dark path of, you know, being obsessed with, with this type of uh, things and uh, so then once... Uh, once I started, you know, getting into film stuff, it was just like, oh yeah, I like horror movies. I want to. That's I love that. That's that's me. I want to make those. So yeah. So there was never ever like a maybe I should make action movies or maybe I should make this. It's just I couldn't help myself but make horror movies or you know, even Jugface people. Some people would argue that it's not a traditional horror movie, but to me, I have a pretty broad uh, understanding of what a horror movie can be. So. Yeah, it's just, you know, I've, I've always done this kind of weird, you know, weird fiction type things. Hey, Zach, it feels like a good place to give the spoiler alert, and let's get into Jug Face. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Well, real quick, just to, just to piggyback off kind of what you were saying, one thing I did want to ask um, real quick, and then we'll get into Jug Face, is, you know, what were some of your you know, early influences in horror, like particular movies or stuff that stuff that influenced you? Uh, let's see. 
you know, I, I love all the classic, like, universal stuff like Dracula and Frankenstein. And uh, I guess when I was a kid, one of the big movies was for me was The Howling. It, it really disturbed me. I, I ended up get I've been able to meet um, uh, Joe Dante and hang out with him in Spain, and I was telling him, too, about the one scene that really rocked me as a child. It was, like, in The Howling where... The, the girl, she's hiding under this piece of wood outside, and the werewolf is reaching in, and she chops off its hand. And for some reason to me as a kid, that was the most frightening thing ever. And then when it's funny, when I got to school, I started reading about reading Freud and about castration anxiety and how <laughs> severed hand can cause that. And I was like, that makes sense. <laughs> but, like, you know, the howling, I love that. I mean, what's funny is, like, there's, what really rocked me too, there's a movie called uh, A Circus of Vampires. I saw a lot of, of Hammer movies uh, growing up. There was a show on uh, USA Network called uh, Commander USA's Groovy Movies. And, and it was really weird. I don't know if you ever saw this guy, but he dressed up like Superman. If you imagine a hobo dressed up as Superman, that's what he looked like. And he smoked a cigar and he would like use... Uh, his cigar to make like a face on his hand that he called Lefty and he would talk to his hand and he would like introduce these movies and he would play like all the classic horror movies and Hammer movies and like that's where I saw Night of the Living Dead for the first time and he also would play like a or a Kung Fu movie so like he was just getting is like exactly what I wanted because I can never wake up for cartoons so you know I'd go watch that at 11 o'clock on Saturdays but uh, so that that was that was huge, um, and then you know I, I discovered Evil Dead at some point, maybe when I think it was in seventh grade. I thought that was absolutely amazing, and uh, you know Freddy was big when I was a kid. All that was going on, and I still have my Freddy glove and, I, I, and my Freddy sweater <laughs> from that from that time. So uh, you know all those '80s movies really you know like just seeped into me. Perfect. Well, uh, so, okay, so here's your spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Jug, Jug Face yet, we're about to talk about it. Um, so um, why don't you start out just by giving kind of the, you know, quick synopsis of the movie, so in case people haven't seen it. Well, I mean, it's, it's basically this backwoods supernatural movie, and it's about this girl, Ada, who discovers that she is going to be sacrificed uh, to this God in a pit that they worship, and uh, she because the way this happens is the the spirit in the pit possesses the potter in the community, and he creates this jug with a face on it. And when he does that, they all look at it and they can tell like which person that it wants sacrificed. And if they'll do that, it'll heal them of their illnesses. And it's been doing that ever since, you know, the the you know, the first settlers, you know when they were settlers and they had like the chicken pox that was about to kill them all and uh, so yeah so so then she basically hides the jug and and when that happens the uh, all hell breaks loose and the um, you know the pit creature or the spirit comes out and starts you know taking lives you know and that with the community knows it'll do that if it doesn't get what it's want you know until it gets the sacrifice that it wants so that's basically it Nice. Yeah, Jay, I, I know yeah, I know this is right up your wheelhouse. So. Oh my goodness. Um <laughs> yeah. where to even begin? Yeah. I I I love your I I love your style 
the storytelling, Chad, because I feel like the movie was the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's all we saw in the movie, and there's all this story beneath it that makes it so rich. And even, even sort of the, um, the somewhat animated opening sequence, and you're starting to get a feel for the history of this community without you sort of just info-dumping that and, and giving it everyone. You, you get a sense of it. And this idea, you get this, the feeling that the, there have been many potters. And there have been mm-hmm. many jugs made over the years, and all of that is subtext. And I think it it was so compelling for me to like I wanted to know more. Like you, I, right from the very beginning, I thought, "Wow, there's a whole lot going on here," and I'm just coming into the story. And I I love that. I I, I found that was really engaging. And the other thing I really loved about it, and maybe you, you could talk a little bit more about the pit and and this presence that lives in the pit. I've said a number of times, many occasions, Blair Witch Project's one of my favorite movies because the evil's unseen. Um, you don't see the witch. And and I think you have sort of a similar mode of storytelling in that you see the consequence or you see the results, but the monster itself is, is unseen. Um, so first of all, I want to say brilliant. Secondly, I wonder if you could maybe talk a little bit about the monster in the pit and, and the history behind that. Sure. Uh... You know, like, in the story, the way it's told is Ada, she, you never see the creature because you're always seeing through its eyes, through, you know, because it's basically Ada seeing through its eyes, so you're seeing through Ada's through the creature's eyes. So, you know, and that was kind of like a form of punishment by that spirit, you know. It's like making her watch as it kills people because she's she's the one that's done the thing that it didn't like. But I kind of always imagined it as this... The pit is like a portal to another dimension, and you know it's just like this spot where maybe the Indians realized you know the earth was bad here, and so they didn't settle there. So then these settlers moved in, and they were left alone until you know they started getting sick, and then the pit took its you know saw the moment when it could start influencing the group and uh, sort of sort of took them over, and they they became you know started worshiping it. And uh, so, yeah, so it's just like this. And they, they talk about it, too, when they're, you know, the dad, Sustin, is preaching, and he's talking about going to live with it. So they believe when they die, they go to live with it in, in that other dimension. Mm-hmm. And that's like, you know, that's where they want to go. And if they don't, if they're killed by it, they become one of the shunned ones. So they just become like these wandering spirits in the woods. So, so that was basically the idea. The, you know, like the... Uh, I ba- I came up with it because um, my wife's aunt and uncle they live in North Georgia and that's kind of like a hotbed for face jugs. That's like mm-hmm. where all these families still live. And they took me to a this like brand new museum that's for folk art. And uh, most of the exhibit is just about face jugs. And so I'd never even heard of them until I saw them there in this museum. And I just walked around and I like stopped at this video and it was like a it was like a, one of the potters, and he was wearing overalls, and of course he had like a really thick accent, and he was talking about making face jugs, and it just like I say this like over and over, but it set, it made me feel like he was talking about blackwood, I mean backwoods black magic, mm-hmm. and standing right there, I saw a possessed potter making a face a face jug of a girl, and I I saw like this pit, and it was speaking to him, and I just knew I was like, oh, the pit wants her like sacrificed. I just stood there like in that one moment. I was like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I know you had uh, you work with Kurtzman on this film, and you know he's really he's from my neck of the woods, and he's really known for his his creatures. So, uh, what what did his company do for you in in the film? They did you know all the practical effects, all the gags as far as the uh, you know the throat slitting, you know sacrifice things. They were all, they were they were the makeup and effects you know oh, okay. for, yeah for it. I mean we we there was never. Uh, in the script, a a creature, even though they ended up making something that we could we could shoot, and so what we did was we did end up shooting shooting this this like monster guy in a monster suit, but uh, we ended up just using that as layers. Uh, when she sees the visions of seeing through its eyes, you'll see things moving across, mm -hmm. and if you, you were to pause it, you would see like the face of this creature, but you'd have to pause it really quick because it's just frames of it. And it actually oh, looks. I'm gonna go really, back and do that. <laughs> yeah, it actually looks really cool, but uh, it just wasn't. It didn't fit structurally with the story, and uh, I think it works even better. You know, like the way we did it. Yeah. Where did you guys film it? Uh, it was filmed in Nashville. Uh, okay. I was like trying Frank, to figure that out. Franklin on a farm in Franklin and uh, Springfield, Tennessee, and just like outside of Nashville. So yeah. So yeah, I, I found all the locations just randomly, like from a guy who sits next to me at this restaurant that I go to and have lunch at. He was, I was telling him what I need, and he's like, well, I have land out you know, in Fairview. You want to come look at it? And we went and looked at it, and on the next property was DeWise House, you know, that shack. And then across the creek was a abandoned trailer. And I was, <laughs> you know, so it's like every, almost everything was right there. We, we would have dug the pit there. But in that area, it's it's basically just a couple of inches of soil, and then it's like rock. Yeah. And so that place is actually known for not being able to like grow crops, and it's it's actually was like a hotbed for moonshine. So which is which was fitting since you know that's what they were doing in the, the movie. So that's great. Yeah, I was trying to. I was like, man, this has got to be Tennessee, like. Uh, and and when they were going into town and stuff, I found myself just trying to figure it out. Like, where I, I know this looks familiar. Like, <laughs> yeah, like where where are they at? But uh, but yeah, that's that, that's that's really cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 all the scenery and everything seemed like I, I'm a sucker for like the backwoods, you know, redneck horror type stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so instantly, I was just like, man, this is gonna be right up right up my wheelhouse. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to go back, like Jay was saying too, and pause and try to find where the, the monster shows his face. Yeah, th there's there's one shot where it's like you, I think you see her face, and she's turned, and uh, just over that is the monster's face, and it kind of has tentacles coming out, and it's it's pretty cool. That's awesome. I wanted to ask you about uh, again. We've already given the spoiler alert, so don't get mad at me. It's your own fault if you're still <laughs> listening and you haven't watched the movie yet. Uh, I was really intrigued by uh, Ada's grandfather and the role he played in the story. Uh, mm -hmm. Wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about sort of how you used him and, and maybe even why he was still alive, uh, even though he had the 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 uh, stunt was it this uh, Shun boy said he hid the jug too, right? So right, what's grandpa's he role in this? It was it, yeah. I kind of thought of him as like he yeah. He was have been similar to Ada in this fact that you know sometimes people don't want to die or they don't want their loved ones to die. There's there is a pushback you know. And for him, it, it wasn't his face jug. It was the jug of his his wife. Wife. Yeah. And so he hid it to protect her. 
and they found out and they poisoned him and it just kind of like crippled him. So then they just put him out in that trailer to live by himself, you know, until he dies as punishment. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> you know, so there's this connection of like she cares for him and, and they have this same sort of understanding of not liking the community or, or you know, of not agreeing totally with their practices. So that, that's why he was kind of important to the story because everyone else pretty much goes along with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe talk for a second too about just uh, <clears throat> just the overall experience, like, you know, kind of what, you know, obviously you're directing the film so you were seeing things as, as they go, but, you know, maybe from, you know, the standpoint of you wrote this film and then you get to see it kind of get played out before your eyes and then you see the final you know, the, the final product, like maybe kind of talk about just for a second, like kind of what that experience was like for you. Well, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's a wild experience because, you know, going from the script is, is like its own thing and it lives in my mind as this version. And then once you cast it, it becomes like a, another version because you, those actors are only going to be able to do what they understand, you know, a, as they're being the character. So you can't completely force them into your understanding of, of, of the character or it's going to feel false and they're not going to be able to really act and feel real. So it's, so it's like it becomes this organic thing that's now been changed by all the, the actors. And then you come in as, as a director and you're telling the story based on you know your budget constraints and just the things that happen on set and just, just all these other influences, and you're just basically wrangling in, again, organically as you're shooting, everything that's happening to, to kind of keep funneling it through this vision that you have for it. So you're just watching it evolve again, you know, and sometimes that can be, <laughs> not, it can, can go not how you saw it at all, or other times it's exactly, you know, or sometimes you know you think it's exact but that's not doesn't really work anymore you know because it's like it's it's just evolving before you and and then then you've shot everything and now you go into the edit and then it starts changing again that's like a whole other version of it that could be wildly different you know cuz uh you get what's called like an assembly edit, edit in the beginning that's like the first rough cut and i wasn't happy with that like at all so I, I just t- ripped all my uh, CDs that had just all the takes on it and cut it in a weekend myself before I went down to be with the editor. And his, if you were to t- look at the version that's out and my version, it's it's almost like different, a slightly different storytelling because that I was editing it my style and almost towards how I'd written it where I can't really force the editor into doing that because that's not how he's telling it you know, with the visuals and everything I've created, even though I'm there and I'm helping him. So it's so it's it's been it's been it just modulates the whole time. And as a director, you're just trying to keep it within your vision the whole time and take in good good things from other people, and then of course leave out the things that are not going to work or that are going to break it. And so it it becomes you know definitely a you know tightrope act. And then of course it's done. And uh, what's weird is like I I went to many festivals with it. And I would watch it every time. I would sit and, and like, you know, I wanted to stab my eyes out many times, you know, watching the movie. <laughs> but, uh, but it was always interesting to feel people's experience because it's, it's like 
and every audience would, would be different based on who they were, wh what they were expecting from it, or just, you know, it, it was completely bizarre how every audience was different. And that kind of like, you know, was a really interesting experience to to know that you, and it took a while, like many festivals, until I was sitting there, I was like, oh crap, I made something that's like out there. You know, I don't have control over it anymore. And all these people are just reacting to it, you know, in the way they're going to. And it's very strange, you know. Sure. Well, we're kind of we're kind of coming to a close here. Uh, Jay, did you have any final thing you want to ask or add or? Yeah, I just um, I'm kind of wondering what's next for you. you uh, you know, I, yeah. I mean, this past year I've had a couple of things that almost happened that didn't. Um, and I have, you know, two more scripts that are basically, uh, I think, I have some heat on. Uh, you know, I almost directed a uh, remake of, of something that I didn't end up getting, but I was very, very close to. So it's weird. It's just, uh, you know, now I have a movie out. Everyone wants to talk to you. They want, they want to know what's, what you want to do. But it's like until you make another movie, they don't quite trust you yet. <laughs> it's a strange thing in, in Hollywood, things. yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, so yes. But. Uh, but I have some really promising projects, and uh, I did do a adaptation of a very popular um, horror author that I can't really talk about because I don't know if it, anything will ever be done with it. But uh, it, it's basically I'm primed to write the screenplay and direct it if it ever gets off the ground, which would be huge. But it's just one of those things that's like I have no idea if it'll ever go. So. And so it's been weird. It's like I got to this next level, and it's not exactly made things clearer. It's just made uh, things a little more complicated. So, yeah, cool, very yeah. cool. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, uh, why don't you? Uh, where do you want people to come find you? <laughs> Where's kind of the uh, best place to find you? Yeah, I mean the best place is Twitter. Okay. Chad C Kinkle, you know at Chad C Kinkle, and that's that's basically where I spend most of my time. And I, I don't, you know, any information that comes out ever about me will be on that and. And Facebook, but I hardly use Facebook very much. So, I don't blame you for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome, Chad. We appreciate having you on, man. And uh, everyone, go watch Jug Face. It's it's awesome, awesome horror movie. So definitely go check it out. So, uh, Chad, we appreciate having you, Jay. Thanks, and we will yep. see you guys next week. Later. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Horror Writers Podcast. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's show, please feel free to leave us a comment. Subscribe on iTunes and on YouTube. If you like us, please leave us a review on iTunes. The Horror Writers Podcast can be found on the web at thehorrorwriterspodcast.com. All graphics provided by Johnny Diggs at diggscreative.com. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode.